Wow, snap, 2022. Manal, hello. Hey, Reinhardt, good to be with you in the same room and recording. Yes, incredible, isn't it, that we get to do this? We discuss so many things we want to talk about in season two, and this is episode one of season two this year. Yes, what, what are have the we things? Got yeah, what do we have in, the, in your pocket for the. Oh, we've got some great things that we're going to be able to talk about tech for mass surveillance. Yes, and that impacts people like me. Uh, activists and also impacts journalists, diplomats, anyone who speaks up pretty much, and also individuals. If you are working and your employer decides to have a private surveillance app, then you're impacted by this. And if you're an individual and you're using a dating app, we're going to be talking about dating apps and the funny world of online dating or computer dating, as it was called back in the day. Really? Computer dating? Match.com. Yes. And we want to talk about ethics. A lot of technologists come to us and ask, do we have any handbook that helps people who are in the startup, the tech startup, what are the ethics they need to pay attention to while they're building it? We will talk about that too. There's also going to be 10 arguments that we're going to give people for deleting your social media apps and just getting off that and going into digital detox. And actually, that's the title of a book, 10 Arguments. And it was very interesting. And I'm like, maybe we should make a whole episode about this book. Dedicated to that. But today, in this episode, episode one of season two, we will talk about something that you might have not heard about, even if you are a technologist or a computer scientist. We will talk about... Captology. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You've been living in a dream world, Neo. A prison for your mind. Captology is, that's going to be a new word probably in a lot of people's vocabulary, I imagine. It's probably the first time they're hearing it. And you might be wondering, well, what is that? To, to get us kicked off, I think I'll introduce the topic with an analogy. And that is to say that in most countries around the world now, if you were to buy a packet of cigarettes, you're going to get a product warning. And it's going to have a really scary photo with a picture of someone with black lungs and what smoking cigarettes will do to your health. But pretend for a moment that social media apps also came with a warning. Imagine if logging onto Facebook uh, presented you with a warning that said, this product is known to cause eating disorders, depression, and elevated risk of suicide. Would you still sign up? Would you still let your teenage kids sign up? That's what we're going to deal with today, captology. Captology. There is a silent pandemic that no one talks about, and it started before COVID, and actually is still here. And there is no vaccination for it, and it's getting worse. COVID got a massive health response around the world. But this pandemic we want to talk about gets zero attention from us, from health professionals, and even from governments. In fact, the COVID pandemic made this digital pandemic even worse. We want to talk about how a group of people use science to create a new type of technology that is all about exploiting human nature and how we think and behave. Captology or computers as persuasive technology to change what we think and do. And we will talk about the hooked model. It's another model that created by another technologist. And this model 
according to the inventor of this model, is used to build products that, quote-unquote, people can't put down. Scary. This is a science that made our relationship with tech asymmetric, and it amplifies cases of depression, suicide, addiction in adults, teenagers, and even children. So today's episode, we'll, we'll probably just focus on a bit of the background, and in the coming episodes, we're going to look at the concepts behind the science of captology, delve deeper, and we want to hear from parents and people impacted by captology, and as always, we're going to wrap it up with our crash course in digital self-defense, because we want you to claim back your digital agency. It's, go- it's going to be an exciting episode, Manal. Can't wait to get stuck in. Yeah, we want to start it with a quote from the French philosopher Paul Virilio. I hope I'm pronouncing his Paul name Paul Virilio, right. yeah, I Virilio. think that sounds right. Go ahead. Ah, the quote is brilliant. And it says, when you invent the ship, you also invent the shipwreck. Every technology carries its own negativity, which is invented at the same time as technical progress. Yeah. Why are we using this quote? Because we do love technology. We do. And we see the impact and how our life, when it moved to be digital lives, the impact, whether in the reach for education, healthcare, smart governments, having a supercomputer actually in your in your pocket instead of carrying yeah. all the those gadgets, it's just one piece of equipment that you carry in your pocket and you can get from A to B. Do you remember our teachers when we were kids when they were teaching us maths and they say, you will never carry a calculator in your pocket. Guess what, teacher? <laughs> wow. Yeah, we so carry billions of those calculators in our pocket now. It's... It's massive and it's, the impact on our everyday life is very positive, but also there are the shipwreck that yeah. we comes with it that no one discusses. We feel the impact, we feel guilty that it's our responsibility. In this episode, we actually want to debunk that it's our own responsibility. It's actually engineered in, this, in these technologies and apps. Yeah, we've, we, we've started with this quote like you said, Mia, because we recognize the good in tech. We we now have the power of the world in our pocket and we hold it in our hand. But we also are starting to see we're making observations about ourselves now, which are quite in, quite scary when we look at all these sort of hypnotized people around the street and in the workplace and even at home with ourselves as we notice our relationship with technology changing. So this shipwreck kind of has a cause and captology we can't discuss the cause of that shipwreck without looking at captology computers as persuasive technology nothing illustrates i think this quote better than this this uh, well facebook's own internal research because it revealed that their platform and they knew that their platform was harming people's mental health they they knew that and it was almost as though they were, they were very well, well aware, like the captain of the Titanic, that a shipwreck could happen or probably even was happening already. So fortunately for, for us, we have whistleblowers like Frances Haugen, who used to work for Facebook. And she was able to disclose tens of thousands of these internal documents to pe- people like the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and to the Wall Street Journal. This happened in 2021 and it hit the, hit the news pretty hard. And some of those documents contained Facebook internal research that detailed their own self-awareness about these harmful effects. 
some of the things that you and I sometimes talk about is that teenage girls are disproportionately impacted by this as well. And it's it's funny because it's designed this way. Like they talk about Instagram and yeah. we will, in the next episode, we will talk about how technologists use the science, captology, which actually from the world captive, holding someone captive. Uh, we'll talk about that in the next episodes. So Facebook never shared internal research that they own that they themselves conducted and they didn't even share it when they were called to testify by the u.s senate um, the whole year before francis haugen even came forward facebook had an opportunity to disclose this to the u.s senate that's quite a big deal to be hauled in front of those senators now the revelations that were discussed within the u.s senate prompted one senator by the name of richard blumenthal to make the following statements to the wall street, uh, wall street journal, journal. Mm. he said Quote, Facebook's answers were so evasive, failing to even respond to all our questions, that they really raised questions about what Facebook might be hiding. Wow, that's before the revelation. Before Francis okay. came forward. And then he added, Facebook seems to be taking a page from the textbook of big tobacco, targeting teens with potentially dangerous products while masking the science in public. Wow, he's comparing them to big tobacco. That's it's quite an indictment. Yeah, that's a big statement, and because big, big tobacco, they knew the harms of their tobacco, and they had the science. Oil companies, fossil fuel companies, had the science of climate, the global warming, impact climate, yeah, climate the impact, impact, the impact of their operations on the climate, and they kept all that science, and it just came later. Yeah. Way later. Yeah. And we don't want this to happen. We don't want to be another fossil fuel uh, and another tobacco uh, revelation. We talked about... Speaking of climate, by the way, some of our listeners might spot that it's now started to rain here in Sydney. And this floods. is like the third or fourth week of rain here in Sydney and flooding in upper New South Wales and lower Queensland. So we're facing our own uh, environmental extremes Crisis. here. Yes. Yeah. And unfortunately, today, we're not only facing climate crisis, we're actually facing digital crisis that's amplifying the climate crisis. We mentioned in one of our episodes how Facebook are accepting money, advertisement money from fossil fuel companies to push their agenda, that they're part of the solution. Mm. But, but anyway... Well, 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 going on that, we had big tobacco back in the... 70s and 80s and 90s go through a similar story where they knew that they were sitting on all these public health impacts. Doctors were seeing all sorts of cancers and diseases formed from, from big tobacco. And here we have a senator directly connecting Facebook to, Facebook big, tobacco. to big tobacco strategies. So if we wonder why, if we wonder why we're, we're still on YouTube three hours later after logging on, or if we're wondering why we're still checking our phone screens, maybe there's an answer and maybe this is not an accident, right? Yeah. And have you ever been to a dinner table and everyone is in there, like, really, they are just glued to their yes. phone screens? <laughs> I take the train and people don't read books in the train anymore. Okay, some people say I read my books on my phone. But you can see people are so... Yeah. glued to their phones. One of my friends was telling me about a, a three-old daughter in her family. And yeah. this Israeli company created an app for kids. And actually the app, what it does, it creates that addiction in three-year-old children. Unbelievable. And the girl goes through a meltdown if they take away the iPad from her. To the way that she eats while the iPad is in front of her, they give her a shower 
when the iPad is actually in the shower with her. Oh, like they put God. It, she's taking it, they're giving her a shower and the iPad, she can still... And I'm like, wow! I, I still didn't get the name of that Some app. Some sort of hypnosis. But that's crazy. And that, 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 that needs to be explained to people why we're facing this yeah. pandemic. Yeah. The same reason why we're taking our, ba- our, our phones into the bathroom with us as well, I guess. <laughs> oh, my and God. We're, we're getting hit by buses on the street because we're not even looking where we're walking. Um, so much of our time and attention. They've captured it, right? They, we are the captive audience in captology we they've captivated our attention spans they've captivated our emotions right because we're now obsessively checking these technologies they've captivated our entire lives just imagine opening the fridge i design a fridge that you keep you go to the fridge you get your milk and and go on with your day imagine i design a fridge that you keep just open and close yes what would that be like in in the real life wow just standing at the fridge obsessively (laughs) going into it two names for this episode that we want to talk about their work the first one is professor bj fogg or his full name is brian jeffrey fogg he's an american social scientist and a professor at stanford university he's the one who coined the term captology and he founded, uh, he's also the founder and director of the Stanford Persuasive Technology Lab, Captology. You can still access it at captology.stanford.edu. Later, this lab was renamed to Behavior Design Lab. He still teaches there. He wrote a paper in 1998, and this paper became a book later in 2003. And the book name, Persuasive Technology. And the title, Using Computers to Change What We Think and Do. And the book provides the foundation for captology. And the foundation foundation of captology, he just looked at, at that time, 2003, we didn't have smartphones. Can you imagine? We didn't have that proximity. Something always in my pocket. We only had to go log into the computer. We had to dial in. We had to... Ask, yeah, mom, yes. ask mom not to pick up the phone yes. <laughs> so it doesn't drop our uh, connection. At that time, he studied how technology, whether a website, a video game, a software product, can be actually used to change how people behave. He studied that, he wrote about it. And the interesting thing about his work, when he explained how you can use computers, that, how people relate to computers, and how can people behavior change, using computers. He actually, the last chapter of his book, and I have his book, he talked about the ethics. He said, when you teach uh, persuasive technology, you need to teach with that the impact of persuasion on humans. He used two terms in his book. He used something called macro-suasion and micro-suasion. So these two terms, he used it in relation to captology. Well, that's, that's a great insight into something. When, when academia is starting to invent uh, new language to describe these new phenomena, that's, when, that, that, that's, that's the sign of a new phenomena within society really uh, gathering strength. Microsuasion, macrosuasion. The, these two things, now we're seeing how this operates on all kinds of uh, elements that are shaping my life and how I and your feel behavior, it, how you behavior. think, what do you do, who you mm. vote for the now, the choices I make, what do you buy, and when you buy it. 
The other person we will talk about is Nir Eyal. Yeah, that's right. Nir Eyal, he's the other character that we're going to focus on. And Nir Eyal was a student of Fogg's. And what makes, I think, Nir Eyal quite special is that he was a behavioral psychologist. So he already came with a vast swathe of understanding of human behavior. And Nir Eyal wrote a book. It's called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. Just think about that for a, a second. Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. And what Nir explained is that there are, there are forms, there are approaches, there are methods that can be deployed so that people could become deeply attached to there social apps, media. Not only social media, actually, even apps. All right? kinds of products, yeah, All right? kinds of yeah. apps. And so by combining his expertise with, uh, as a behavioral engineer, he was then able to propel a new generation of software engineers that understood captology and could incorporate elements of behavioral science that make these highly addictive relationships that we now see between us, the consumers, and our products, particularly technology products. It's just crazy when you say behavioral science. It is. It sounds like madness. Psychologists. They're really well-educated people. Yes. And this being taught in Silicon Valley, and if it wasn't for people like Tristan Harris, who also was one of BJ Fogg student, a Fogg student, he came and he talked about the use of behavioral design. Kind of blew the whistle on this whole party, didn't he? he? It was a huge revelation even for me. I didn't even know about it until Tristan Harris came. And it's funny, like it's the same class and you can have Nir Eyal or you can have Tristan Harris. So the cycle that Eyal uh, describes in in the idea of the hooked model uh, to to build products that create these habit-forming behaviors in us is a looping cycle that consists of uh, very specific steps, and we want to cover them very clearly. The first is trigger. The next is action. Then a variable reward, and that's, that's quite important. And lastly, and most importantly, continued investment. That means continued investment from us, investment of our time, our money, our attention. So here is how it works. It starts with a trigger, Let's say your notification, and it moves us to an action, checking our phone, and then a reward. Oh, likes, oh, people are commenting on my picture. And finally, an investment, going and commenting and posting more. And by repeating these hook steps, we end up forming the habit. So we see these steps in all sorts of apps today, especially social media. And the interesting thing about social media, Facebook hired two people from Las Vegas, who work in casinos, gambling machines. Funny that. And then they studied (laughs) captology and they perfected it. So Facebook perfected their products to be very highly addictive. Now, Las Vegas are actually learning from Silicon Valley. Wow, so it's come full circle. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, they're learning because they did things that even gambling casinos didn't it, consider. Didn't consider. So when we mentioned earlier the deliberate nature. Yes. That that's that's the key point of evidence, I think, in our first uh, our exhibit A, in that this is deliberate. This is by design. This was no accident that we're walking around like zombies, glued to our screens. It's sad. They borrowed. Big tech borrowed the methodologies from the gambling, gambling. sector to write their software and create products. So now comes the really transformative part of this hooked model. 
because once a habit is formed, the external stimulus that previously prompted the habit, like a notification, is no longer needed. It can be replaced or supplemented with an internal trigger. So let's discuss that for a second, because we, we now form mental associations, very powerful mental associations between wanting to use the product and seeking to fulfill what could, I guess we could argue is, is a very real and natural desire, emotional need, perhaps one for connection, one for uh, community. So big tech's interest is actually running counter to, but at the same time exploiting a very natural human wiring. It's just wanting to connect and, yeah. and check We're on social our creatures, friends. yeah. Yes. Um, and that's actually how the hooked model was very successful because we both have the same motivation. They want to connect me and I want to talk to my friends and, and check on them. But then there is this, uh, what's the word I could say, conflict of interest mm. between me and technologist because now they connected me, awesome. But then they want me to be there as long as they can keep me on their app. Yes. Because the more I'm there, the more I'm scrolling, the more they collect data about me, the more they can show me advertisement, and actually the more they can study me and change my behavior to keep me more time in there. So the key with persuasive technology, no one is holding a gun on our head and saying, check your phone 100 times a day. No one does that. So persuasive technology, what it does, it taps into our natural emotional desires to be gratified obsessively by technology products like social media and leaves us hooked. So the science, we want to explain some of the, the, the scientific elements that are associated with this and delve a little deeper into captology. What drives it? I, I love this one. When we did the science behind it, I got really angry. So let's hear the science behind it. I really um, got angry. So for those of you listening, you know, it's probably a good thing we don't have any video in our podcast because you'd see the veins popping out of Manal's face right now. I'm a nice person. <laughs> so we need to remember that um, technology is the tool, not us. And that the, there are a difference in goals, differences in direction. And this is, uh, this is how BJ Fogg's model for behavior comes into all of this big picture because he was able to express this association, these differences uh, in goals and directions with an equation. It's actually rather simple and beautiful. It's, it's B equals M-A-P. Map. Map. B equals map. So what does this all stand for? B stands for behavior, as you would rightly think. And that's human behavior being the combination of three key elements, motivation, ability, and a prompt, motivation, ability, prompt, map, B equals map. Behavior is a function of motivation, ability, and prompt. So what this, what this model is attempting to describe is that to initiate a behavior, a new behavior, uh, a habit-forming behavior, uh, we need some sort of existent motivation, possibly increased uh, or cultivated through a persuasive technique. Then, ability meaning that the required behavior is well within our capability at that point. And in some cases, maybe we can reduce that threshold. We can make it even easier for us to be able to do that. And then the trigger, a moment, a change, and it pushes us 
into that that given behavioral cycle. A good example of the ability, if you are used to using your phone as your alarm clock, you will naturally charge it next to you when you sleep. So you wake up in the morning and what happened? It's next to you, it's in your hand, all these notifications waiting for you to check. You will start reading your messages before you even leave your bed. So that's the ability. Now we have phones, they're small, they're in our pocket and we're connected 24 by 7 to the internet. It becomes programmed into us like Pavlos dog. Yes, like where there's drooling and we're waiting for a dopamine that comes with a social engagement and connection and we're just de- deprived of that as soon as we wake up we want to be we want to we want that dopamine hit. So we're combining that inbuilt motivation, the ability to pull it off because it's right there, the trigger to initiate And now we have that behavior. We wake up and the first thing we touch is our phones incessantly, right? And we check it hundreds of times a day. So what's Pavlov's dog? Yeah, Pavlov's dog. So one of the reasons Fogg's models are so accurate and and are able to predict this. So the reason Fogg's model works is because of this foundational work that was laid down by, by Pavlov. That's Ivan Pavlov. And his work is sometimes, or well, the results of his work is sometimes called Pavlovian conditioning, or classical conditioning. There may be people on the listening to the podcast that understand these terms, but quite simply, uh, Pavlov experimented with getting his dog to salivate from certain external stimuli. And I kind of empathize with the dog. I can imagine like there, there was, <laughs> there's probably a whole bunch of pet owners out there and people screaming like, why are we doing this to our animals? So at the beginning, Pavlov's dog starts off by salivating just from the presence of food. Which is natural. Makes yeah. a lot of sense, doesn't it? And that's, a, that, that's what we call the potent stimuli. The food is a potent stimuli. And they're very closely correlated. So the food, the hunger, salivation, all that makes sense. So it's simple. Dog sees food, starts drooling. There's no mystery. But here's where the things get interesting. Pavlov, he introduces other stimuli, neutral stimuli. So they could be sounds of musical instruments, for example, metronomes, harmoniums, things like that. And Pavlov introduces neutral stimuli at the same time as the food, the potent stimuli. So by doing this, Pavlov creates a powerful association, a very, very powerful association in the dog's mind between these two stimuli. The food and the And the sounds. Wow. So the important part now comes next, which is after creating this powerful association, Pavlov removes the potent stimuli. He gets rid of the food. food. And Pavlov's dog is now conditioned to salivate with the neutral stimuli, the musical tones. So even without the food being there, the dog can now have a reflex, can be programmed into a reflexive behavior. And that's... (laughs) That's our phone. We're dogs. That's our we're, phone, We're an yeah. experiment. In the next episode, we will talk about how technologists use this knowledge that we explained in this episode to design a, high, a highly addictive technology that truly changes how we behave, how we feel, and how we think. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us today. See you all next time. It's been great having you all again. Welcome Pavlov to 2022, Pavlov's dog. dog. <laughs>